Hare Krishna, welcome dear devotees. Thank you so much for joining us again today. Um, we have been hearing from so many wonderful speakers on the 10th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam and slowly and gradually diving in deeper into these beautiful and sometimes mystical pastimes. It's my great honor and fortune on behalf of the GBC SBT team to welcome His Grace Suthapa Prabhu. Hare Thank Krishna. You so much. Thank you so much, Govinda Priya Mataji. Hare Krishna. Please accept my humble obeisances. It's so wonderful to have you on the GBC SPT platform again. And uh, for our viewers who do not know Sutapa Prabhu, I want to say a few words. Sutapa Prabhu, Prabhu has been on the GBC SPT platform before and introduced um so many wonderful presentations here he's enlivened us by his talk and mesmerized so many of the audiences here and today he is going to be speaking on the killing of the keshi demon and Vyomasura from the 37th chapter of Srimad bhagavatam sutapa prabhu is He's the mastermind behind the school of bhakti if you've been a recipient of all the courses that they offer he, as a young enthusiast, 16, I think, here, 16 year old, got a book of Srila Prabhupada and decided to dedicate his life to the mission. And since then has been very actively studying and then also sharing the wonderful teachings of Srimad Bhagavatam with everyone. So it's my great honor. And I turn this over to you, Sutta Prabhu. We're eagerly looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mataji, for your kind introduction. And really appreciative to be here today with everyone. Um, and before we embark on today's Krishna Katha, let us uh, offer our respects and prayers to our uh, revered teachers and to the Supreme Lord Himself. Chakshurun militam yena tasmai shri gurave namaha Shri Chaitanya manobhishtam stapitam yena bhutale svayam rupa kadamayam dadati svapadantikam Vandeham shri guru shri yuta padakamalan shri guru vaishnavamscha Shri rupam sagrajatam sagana ravanathan vitam tam sajivam Sadvaitam Savadutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Pada and Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakan Vitamstra E Krishna Karana Sindhu Dinabandu Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostate Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Radhe Vrindavaneshwari Vrishabhano Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vancha Kalpatarubhyascha Kripasindubhya Evacha Patitanam Pavinebhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namaha Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaiti Kadadhar Shri Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai. 
So again, thank you. My gratitude to the GBC SPT for this wonderful initiative and the opportunity to share something. Today, we will be discussing the 37th chapter of the 10th Canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. But before we do that, I would like to just share with you uh, a few thoughts on the importance and the uh, great opportunity of hearing Krishna Katha that we've been given uh, by the grace of Srila Prabhupada and uh, the endeavor that we are going on today. There are perhaps different ways in which the advancement of someone's spiritual journey can be assessed. One can uh, assess their spiritual advancement through different frameworks given in the Shastra. For example, here we have the beautiful framework which is given by Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur, originally taken from the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, in which uh, Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur in his beautiful book Madhurya Kadambini explains the step-by-step -step progress that a sadhaka takes all the way to the stage of perfection, prema, pure love of Godhead. However, uh, within this framework, we could say there are many general ways in which one can assess that they're advancing. One major way in which one can see that they are advancing in spiritual life is that their material desires are decreasing and their spiritual desires are increasing. When they wake up in the morning and they have a to-do list or a to-desire list, then all the things on those uh, lists or all the things that they're uh, putting effort and endeavor into are for the purpose of spiritual upliftment. Um, and even when they're seemingly doing something material, it's because that material thing will help them in their service to Krishna. So one general way in which one can see that they're advancing is that material desires decrease and spiritual desires increase. Another general way in which one can tell that they're advancing is that one's uh, destructive uh, lower nature is becoming more and more uh, in the background and one's divine qualities, the 26 qualities of a devotee, the saintly character of uh, the characteristics found in all the demigods are gradually manifesting in the character of a devotee. And therefore, a second major way is through the character development that we can observe within ourselves. There are also other measures. As one advances, then their faith is going from komala shraddha, which means a very weak, pliable faith, into uh, a very strong, convinced faith, a faith which is so powerful that it can also instill faith in others. There is, however, one other beautiful way in which the Shastra describes that we can understand we are becoming more advanced, we're becoming more accomplished, and we're actually making real traction in our journey towards Krishna. And that is that as one progresses, the taste for Hari Kirtan, the taste for Hari Katha is becoming uh, thicker and thicker, stronger and stronger, more and more prominent, and uh, the taste for Harikatha is um, 
drawing all of one's attention so that they're much more able to absorb and immerse themselves in the talks of Krishna. Each one of us can look in our spiritual life, in our spiritual journey and ask ourselves, am I becoming more attached to Hari Kirtan? Am I becoming more attracted to Hari Katha? And am I, absor am I able to absorb myself in a more uh, powerful way as the years are going by in these uh, beautiful uh, practices of Hari Kirtan and Hari Katha? When we look at this journey that Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur has given us, then we all know it begins with Shraddha, with faith. From faith, the next thing that the practitioner will do is associate with spiritually minded people. And this will then trigger a practice of spiritual life, a committed practice. From that committed practice, the purification will begin to take place within the heart. And when one reaches a certain amount of purification, they come to the stage of conviction, nishta, uh, where um, the majority of anartas have been annihilated and one is um, having a very steady practice in spiritual life. From that platform of nishta, one then goes on to ruchi, where one develops some genuine attraction for the angas of bhakti. And then it comes to a more intensified state of attachment, which then uh, matures into ecstasy and which finally bears the ultimate fruit, which is prema. And as we know, prema also has its different stages of intensity. In relation to our initial point made about the increasing attraction one should have for Harikatha, when we look at this progression, then we can see that although there are nine stages here, there's another way in which we can analyze these nine stages and we can broadly group them into three. In the beginning stages of one's spiritual life, Shraddha and Sadhu Sangha, the most prominent aspect of spiritual life that is coming through is the identity of being a devotee of Krishna. One's uh, lifestyle changes, one's social circle changes, and uh, the language one uses changes, and one adopts the identity of being a devotee. And in the very early stages of spiritual life, it's this change of identity that is the prominent aspect which is visible in uh, the devotee's life. Later on, as the devotee takes up bhajana kriya, then spiritual life matures more. And it's not now just about the identity of being a Hare Krishna, but it very much begins to mature into doing the process, the practice of what a Hare Krishna devotee does, which is to chant Hare Krishna and to uh, hear about Krishna and to... Um, engage in the other angas of devotional service in a committed way, in a regulated way, in a determined way um, for the purpose of purification. And so we can see Bhajana Kriya, that practice begins, it brings about a purification, which brings about conviction. And then in the later stages of this 
second broad stage of spiritual life, there's actually a genuine attraction for the process. Um, a genuine, Srila Prabhupada mentions that when the alarm goes off in the morning, then one wants to go to Mangalarti because one realizes that hearing and chanting is, are, are beautiful things to do. But one very interesting thing happens in the third stage of spiritual life where everything comes to its maturity. In the beginning, our spiritual life was very much about identity. Then it became more serious. It became more about the process. But eventually what happens is spiritual life becomes all about Krishna. It said that in the stage of Ruchi, one has attraction, but the attraction is for the angas of Bhakti. But what happens at the stage of a Shakti is that there is also attraction, but in this stage, the attraction and the attachment is transferred towards the object, Krishna, the person who we're hearing about, the person who we're chanting for, the person whose service we are engaged in. And, uh, and therefore we see in the Shakti, Bhava and Prema, then the focus on Krishna and Krishna's name, fame, form, qualities and pastimes. This is what is coming to the forefront. And uh, the devotees in this stage are completely enamored by Krishna. Uh, the sages at Naimisharanya, they say to Sutta Goswami, Vayantu na vitripyama uttama shloka vikrame yachrinvatam rasa gyanam swadu swadu pade pade. When we hear about Krishna, they say this knowledge that we're hearing is rasa gyanam, is full of relish. And as we hear about Krishna, whose pastimes and whose qualities and whose narrations are full of rasa, then Swadu Swadu Pade Pade at every step we're experiencing newer and newer taste. So this is very nice. This gives us a general understanding, as mentioned, that as our attraction towards hearing about Krishna, chanting Krishna's names, and being immersed in the qualities and character and personality of Krishna as that is becoming more and more prominent, then we can understand we are making uh, advancement in the right uh, direction. However, for one to engage in Harikatha in the condition stage is not very easy. In the very first chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, this verse is given to explain why Kali Yuga is considered a very difficult time for spiritual life. Prayenal Paishahasabhya Kalavasmin Yuge Jana Manda Sumanda Matayo Manda Bhagya Hyupadruta. So here the qualities of those in Kali Yuga is being mentioned. The first quality that's being mentioned is Alpa Ayusha, which means that those in Kali Yuga are short-lived. The second quality being described is that those in Kali Yuga are lazy. The third quality of those in Kali Yuga is that they are 
unintelligent. The fourth difficulty of Kali Yuga is that souls are unfortunate. And the fifth difficulty in Kali Yuga is that the souls are always disturbed. Now, every verse can be seen from many, many lights and many, many different angles. And Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur in Sarartha Darshini gives a very, very interesting and illuminating uh, insight into this verse. He explains that these qualities are actually uh, progressive obstacles. He says the first problem is that in Kali Yuga we don't have time because we have short lives and in the short lives we do have uh, our attention and our uh, day is taken up by so many different things. So he says that most people don't have time to hear Harikatha. But then he says, say for example, they make time for Harikatha. They overcome that obstacle. The second problem is that even though they have time for Harikatha, they're lazy. So they don't utilize the time that they have for Harikirtan and Harikatha. But Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur says, say someone is not lazy, but they're very, very active and they overcome that obstacle. Then the next problem is they engage in Harikatha, but because they're unintelligent, because they don't have Sumedha uh, Shah, because they're not uh, fully aware of the intricacies of Harikatha, they're not able to fully grasp it. But Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur says they can overcome that by hearing Harikatha from someone who is intelligent. So they can overcome that. But then he says the next problem is when they go to hear Harikatha from someone else, they're unfortunate because they're misguided by those who seemingly speak Harikatha, but who have some other agenda on their mind. And therefore, they don't approach the right person to hear Harikatha. But then Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur says, say they overcome that. They make time, they're active and enthusiastic, they are unintelligent, but they decide to approach the right person and they actually find the right person who they can hear Harikatha from. But then he says the final problem is that even when they make time and they are in the presence of someone who is giving Harikatha, then because their mind is so disturbed, because their mind is so agitated, because their mind is, as they would say in colloquial English, all over the place, then even when Harikatha is going on, then they're not able to concentrate and give their full attention. And so this is really the challenge before us that by Srila Prabhupada's grace, he's helped us to overcome all obstacles and create a life in which we have access and time for Harikatha. But now the final obstacle is there that we have to overcome, which is that when we actually come down and hear Harikatha, sit down and listen to a lecture, sit down and open the Bhagavatam, 
then somehow or other we have to be able to pacify our minds and give our full hearts and consciousness in absorbing that beautiful Harikatha. And elsewhere in the Bhagavatam is mentioned that what happens when this Harikatha goes on? Yatre dhyante katham rishtas trishnaya prashamogata nirveram yatra bhuteshu nodvego yatra karschana Here it's explained that wherever Harikatha goes on, material hankerings and material desires immediately disappear. Not only that, but enviousness towards others disappears. And not only that, all fear, anxiety and worry disappears. So when, wherever the Harikatha is going on, then material desires are disappearing, enviousness towards others is disappearing and the fear and worry and hesitation and anxiety about the future is all disappearing and uh, in the purport to this verse which i very much encourage everyone to read 430 35 shila Prabhupada very very beautifully explains that um wherever harikatha is going on that is considered to be Vaikuntha. And he says Vaikuntha means the place where there's no anxiety. And Srila Prabhupada says the Krishna consciousness movement is meant for creating Vaikuntha everywhere. And the way the Krishna consciousness society creates Vaikuntha everywhere is by propagating Harikirtan and Harikatha because by engaging in Harikirtan and Harikatha, uh, all of um, anxieties are dissipated. Um, and then he quotes the very, very beautiful verse, Naham tistami vaikunte yogi nam ridayeshuva yatra gayanti mad bhakta tatra tistami narada where the Lord says, I'm not situated in the hearts of the yogis I'm not situated in Vaikuntha, Yatra Gayanti Madhbhakta, wherever my devotees are talking about me, discussing my pastimes, uh, I'm situated in that place. So we all have so many hankerings, we have so many fears, we have uh, maybe some enviousness towards others. And uh, there are two ways we can deal with all of this. We can try to deal with it through material, physical, practical arrangements and try to overcome it through that. Um, or we can try to overcome it by just becoming absorbed in Harikirtan and Harikatha. Um, and really, we may make all kinds of practical solutions. We may have to living in this world but we should be very, very, uh, there should not be any shadow of a doubt that those practical solutions will not ultimately create the uh, long-standing solution. The long-standing solution is to become absorbed in Krishna. Um, I always remember the story of one of our devotees who decided to join the temple. And he was from an Indian family, so naturally it was a very emotional day when he left home. And uh, 
his parents were not entirely happy that he was joining the temple, but he had to follow his heart. And so he got into his car and his parents were crying. He was crying and he had so many doubts. And then he was driving towards the temple. And it was one of those moments where he was thinking, am I doing the right thing? Am I go I'm going towards Krishna. Am I doing the right thing? It was very emotional. And he was about to go onto the motorway and he was having many, many doubts. And thinking maybe I should turn back, maybe I shouldn't join the temple. And just as he was going on the motorway, he did something that he said he had never done before and he has never done since. But what he did is he pulled up the car because there was a, um, a man on the road who was trying to hitchhike to London. And so he decided to give this hitchhiker who he had never met before, he decided to give him a lift. So our devotee, he was driving, he was very emotional, but he stopped the car, the hitchhiker came in and he said, okay, I'll take you to London. And after about two minutes, the hitchhiker saw the picture of Krishna um, in the car and he said, who's that? And thus started a conversation about Krishna and that conversation went on for the entire journey and as our devotee who was driving was engaged in Krishna Katha, Krishna Prachar, then uh, he found that all of his doubts, all of his uncertainties, all of his inhibitions uh, disappeared just by talking about Krishna. And he did indeed make it to the temple. He did indeed join the temple as a brahmachari. And uh, he is indeed... Uh, a wonderful devotee doing amazing things. Um, and that's the power of Krishna Katha, that there may be so many difficulties, uh, uncertainties, but when we're absorbed in the talks of Krishna, then uh, other things will ultimately disappear. So let us now go on to our topic for today. We are discussing the killing of the Keshi demon we're discussing the killing um, of these final demons in Vrindavan. And really, we're coming to um, a very, very emotional part of Krishna book. We're coming to the end of one phase of Krishna's pastimes, the phase of Krishna's pastimes in Vrindavan. And soon Krishna is going to leave Vrindavan um, in the coming chapters, everyone is going to hear about Krishna boarding the chariot of Akrura and going to Mathura. Of course, in a deeper way, we know Krishna never leaves Vrindavan. Vrindavanam Parityaja Padamekam Nagachati. Krishna never takes a step out of Vrindavan. But seemingly Krishna will leave Vrindavan. And perhaps this scene of Krishna and Balaram boarding the chariot of Akrura and going to uh, Mathura is perhaps the most emotional, the most intense, the most heart-wrenching scene of the entire um, uh, Bhagavatam and the entire pastimes of Krishna is such an emotional moment. Um, but these demons keshi and vyomasura are the two final demons that krishna kills 
uh, Kamsa had sent many, many demons to Vrindavan to kill Krishna, as we know. And uh, all of them had failed. Putana failed, Agasura failed, Shakatasura failed, Bakasura failed. Um, all of these different demons were unsuccessful. Narad Muni had told Kamsa that Krishna is in Vrindavan and you have to kill him because if you don't, he's going to come and he's going to kill you. And so Kamsa, in a last gasp attempt to kill Krishna, sent his final two demons to Vrindavan, the Keshi demon and Vyomasura. Um, Kamsa described Krishna to the Kesi demon and he said, Krishna looks like this and when you go there and you see him, then I want you to kill him. Keshi was a fierce horse. So Keshi came charging into Vrindavan. The Keshi demon was said to be traveling at the speed of the mind. Keshi's hoofs were so sharp, so powerful, that it said that when Keshi was running into Vrindavan, the Keshi demon was tearing up the earth. Keshi's tail, the tail of the horse was wagging, was almost uh, manically uh, waving in the air. And it said that as Keshi's uh, tail was waving in the air, then it was breaking up all the clouds. And although Keshi was a horse demon, it said that when Keshi roared, it was like the roar of a lion. So the Keshi demon began charging into Vrindavan, charging into Vrindavan to find the cowherd boys and ultimately to find Krishna and to kill Krishna. When Kamsa had sent Keshi and Vyomasura, he had a hunch in his mind that this will not be successful. He already knew so many demons were unsuccessful. So already when he sent Keshi and Vyomasura, he was thinking this won't work. So already Kamsa was planning when Keshi and Vyomasura get killed by Krishna, then I'll call Krishna to Mathura. So he was already making the arrangements in Mathura at the wrestling arena. In his mind, he already had lost his conviction in these demons. And he thought, let me try and get home advantage now. In football or cricket, we know that when you're playing on your home ground, you're always uh, at an advantageous uh, position. So he thought, I've tried so many times to kill Krishna in his home ground, Vrindavan, and I was unsuccessful. So now maybe I'll try with these last two demons. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll bring Krishna to my home ground, to my wrestling arena, to my palace in Mathura. And on my home ground, with my home advantage, there I will kill Krishna, I'll kill his parents, and then I'll kill the entire Yadu dynasty. And this was uh, Kamsa's plan. So Keshi came running into Vrindavan on the order of Kamsa. The cowherd boys that day had gone out as they did every single day to graze with the cows. And they were having a very, very beautiful exchange. As we know, when they would take out the cows, they would run, they would play, they would sport, they would tease each other, and they would play different games. 
And on this particular day, Madhu Mangal, who, as we know, is someone who has a bit of a sweet tooth and likes to enjoy uh, ladus in particular, he was feeling somewhat, uh, let's say, hard done by. He was looking at Krishna and he said, Krishna, you always get all the attention. You always get the best sweets. You always get the treats. You always are the object of people wanting to give gifts to. And so Krishna, you know what? If I could just be like you, if I could just look like you, if I could just assume your identity, then maybe I would also get many treats and many I would also get many sweets. Um, so Madhu Mangu looked at Krishna and said, well, maybe Krishna, maybe today I can be you. And so Krishna, who is Bhakta Vatsal, he loves to please his devotees and he loves to fulfill their desires. So Krishna looked at Madhu Mangal and he said, okay, you want to be me for today? Okay, no problem. So Krishna gave uh, Madhu Mangal his Pitambar dress, his yellow dress. He gave Madhu Mangal his peacock feather. He gave Madhu Mangal his stick. And he even gave Madhu Mangal his flute. And so today Madhu Mangal looked exactly like Krishna. And as they walked out into the pasturing grounds, then Madhu Mangal was very happy. He thought today will be a feast, uh, a feast of sweets as I become the object of affection of all the Brajabhasis because they'll think I'm Krishna. On this particular day, Keshi came running into Vrindavan. And remember, Kamsa had told Keshi that there is Krishna there. And you know Krishna? How will you be able to identify him? Krishna will have a yellow dress. Krishna will have a peacock feather. Krishna will have a stick. And most importantly, Krishna will have a flute. So when you see this personality, then make sure you completely annihilate them. So Keshi came running in. And as Keshi came in the midst of all the different gopas, then he saw that person who had a yellow dress, that person who had a peacock feather, that person who had a stick and even had a flute. And who was that person? Madhu Mangal, because today Madhu Mangal looked like Krishna. And so Keshi immediately began to charge at Madhu Mangal. And Madhu Mangal in, uh, in, uh, just became completely stunned, became completely uh, plunged into anxiety at being the, he thought today was going to be the day when he was the object of affection. And now in this new identity as Krishna, he was becoming the object of extreme aggression. There was no affection today. Today was aggression in its highest degree. And so Madhu Mangal shouted out of fear, out of complete anxiety and worry, uh, shouting to save his life. And immediately Krishna appeared on the scene and looked at Keshi. And Keshi 
came in and tried to attack Krishna this time, who was defending Madhu Mangal. And as Keshi came in, then the four-legged Keshi Deva, the horse demon, came in with his two front legs and tried to stomp them right into Krishna. And Krishna, as Keshi came in with his two front legs, what did Krishna do? Krishna simply, with his uh, beautiful small hands, he caught hold of those two feet of Keshi. It's amazing that Krishna in Vrindavan is Madhurya. Even when he manifests Aishvarya, he never compromises his Madhurya root. Therefore, when Krishna inconceivably wants to lift Govardhan Hill, he does it with his small, soft, left finger. Even when Krishna wants to, uh, extraordinary way, suck out the life of Putana, he does it with his small, soft, reddish bimba lips. Even when Krishna wants to kick the Shakatasura demon and kick the life out of Shakatasura, then he does it with his small, soft, tender legs. And so even here, when Krishna wants to catch the Keshi demon, then he does it with his small, soft, beautiful, uh, cotton-like hands. And so he catches hold of uh, Keshi's two front legs and then standing in one place, Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur says, Krishna caught hold of Keshi's two front legs. He whirled Keshi around and then he threw the Keshi demon. And as he threw the Keshi demon, Keshi went to a distance of 600 feet. He went crashing to the ground. And as Keshi went crashing to the ground, somehow or other his strong body was unaffected. And he immediately dusted himself down, picked, him, picked himself up, and he looked at Krishna. And this time he charged at Krishna again. But he charged with double uh, aggression with uh, raging red eyes he came to Krishna and as he came running to Krishna Krishna did something amazing Krishna lifted his left hand clenched it and let out his hand and as Keshi came running his left hand and his left fist went straight into Keshi's mouth and in this way, Krishna's hand, his hand, which is usually softer and more cooling than a blue lotus, that hand became like impenetrable iron. And as it entered into Keshi's mouth, Krishna's left hand knocked out all of Keshi's teeth. Not just that, but Krishna's hand, which entered into Keshi's mouth, was burning like molten iron, it's mentioned. And as this uh, molten iron-like fist of Krishna entered into Keshi's mouth, then this fist began uh, expanding and expanding and expanding. And as it expanded more and more and more, uh, Keshi's, uh, just like Agasura, became suffocated. Keshi was suffocated. 
His legs were kicking uncontrollably. His body was sweating. Uh, his eyes rolled out of their sockets. Uh, he passed stool and urine and eventually just fell dead right there on the ground. And that is how the Keshi demon was killed by Krishna. After this incident, Madhu Mangal came to Krishna and he said, Krishna, today I was you, but you know what? My life is more important to me than Ladu's. So here's your stick, here's your flute, here's your peacock feather, here's your yellow dress. I think I will be okay as Madhu Mangal. Uh, I will get my however many ladus I need, but I like a more peaceful life. It seems that when I take on your identity, then all kinds of uh, crazy things begin to happen. And in this way, all the cowherd boys began to laugh. Krishna began to laugh. And uh, the Keshi demon was annihilated. Later on, Vyomasura was also annihilated. But today, I won't go into that narration. But to suffice it to say for today that in this way, the two demons, the two final demons sent by Kamsa are killed in the 37th chapter of the 10th canto. And all of this takes place at a beautiful uh, place in Vrindavan that many of us are aware of, the beautiful place known as Keshi Ghat. Because after Krishna killed the Keshi demon, then Krishna stepped into the um, divine Yamuna and he cleansed his hand, he cleansed his body and uh, Krishna bathed in the Yamuna at this place after killing the Keshi demon. And therefore, whenever we see a picture of Vrindavan, one of the iconic images which come up are the, uh, is the picture of Keshi Ghat. Very, very beautiful. And this is the place actually where Krishna killed the Keshi demon. As mentioned, the Keshi demon and Vyomasura were the two final demons killed before Krishna left by uh, left Vrindavan, um, or seemingly left Vrindavan. Uh, and therefore, in the beautiful song glorifying Vrindavan Dham, we say, Keshi Ghata Vamshi Vata Dwadasha Kanan. That Keshi Ghat is uh, almost glorified side by side with Vamshivat. Because Keshi Ghat represents the place of Vipralamba. Because after killing the Keshi demon, soon after Krishna left Vrindavan. And Vamshivat represents the place of Samboga because. Krishna stands underneath the Vamshivat, that tree, and he plays his flute. Garshan Venu is attracting, this flute is so attractive. And as Krishna plays his flute under the uh, Vamshivat tree, then all the gopis come. And Krishna unites with the gopis. But at Keshi Ghat, uh, Krishna kills the Keshi demon and then uh, prepares to leave Vrindavan. And so that represents separation.
And so this is Vrindavan Dham, that separation and meeting are constantly taking place. And therefore this uh, churning of rasa is happening because of Vipralamba and Sambhoga. And so Keshi Ghat is a very, very special place. Um, Srila Prabhupada lived not too far from Keshi Ghat. Srila Prabhupada, when he was living in Vrindavan in 1959 uh, to 1965, he was living in the Radha Damodar temple. And if anyone knows the Keshi Ghat, then just by walking through a, through, through a few alleyways, then one can immediately uh, find themselves at the most uh, holy abode of the Radha Damodar temple where Srila Prabhupada had his rooms, uh, where Rupa Goswami's Bhajan Kutir and Samadhi is, and where Srila Prabhupada spent many years um, preparing to come to the West. He said that one day Srila Prabhupada came from his rooms at Radha Damada and he came to Keshi Ghat. And in Keshi Ghat, if one walks into the Yamuna, then one will see there are many small islands. And on one such occasion, someone spotted Srila Prabhupada who had taken a boat over to one of the islands soon after Prabhupada had taken sannyas and this person recalls how on this island Srila Prabhupada had dug his danda into the island and Srila Prabhupada was circumambulating the danda um, singing Hare Krishna in a very very joyful mood and uh, this was all taking place at Keshi Ghat. To round off today's session, I want to share with you a special prayer that is made at Keshi Ghat, um, or a special prayer to Krishna who is situated at Keshi Ghat, should I say. Um, I will share my screen once more. This is a very, very beautiful prayer which is uh, recited by our uh, great Acharya, um, Rupa Goswami. Smeram bhangi traya parichitam sachivishtena drishtim vamsin yasta dhara kishalayam mujvalam chandrakena govinda khyam haritanum so this is a very, very beautiful prayer which uh, Rupa Goswami cites uh, and is describing Krishna who is situated at Keshi Tirtha or Keshi Ghat. But before I uh, share with you the meaning of this prayer, which I'm sure many of you are already familiar with, I'd like to share with you a story. Because the marathon month is coming up and we're all meditating on Srila Prabhupada's books and how we'll be able to distribute them as far and wide as possible, I'd like to share with you a story of something that happened to me last year whilst on the Srila Prabhupada book marathon. Last year, I was by some good fortune in the city of Paris in France and I was distributing books there. And one day I was holding the Bhagavad Gita in, uh, in the center of Paris 
And on this one occasion, I didn't need to stop the person, but the person came walking up to me. He was from a Middle Eastern background, and he looked at me and he said, what's that book in your hand? So I explained to him that it was the Bhagavad Gita, and I showed him the cover, and on the cover I asked him, do you know who this is? And he said, oh, that's Krishna. Um, and I said, wow, you know about Krishna. So he explained what his name was. He was from a Middle Eastern background, from a Muslim background. And I said, oh, how do you know about Krishna? So he said, uh, I traveled. I traveled to India before. And uh, I, since that trip in India, I have become fascinated by India's spiritual culture by India's spiritual knowledge, and I've become fascinated by Krishna. So I asked him, wow, this is amazing. Did you go to some holy places in India, or did you go on some kind of tour of some, you know, spiritual places? He said, actually, for most of my trip in India, I just went to the tourist spots. But I only, while I was in India, I only went to one temple. But this one temple, it changed my whole heart. And since then, I'm kind of uncontrollably attracted towards uh, the spirituality of India and the character of Krishna. So I said, oh, wow, you only went to one temple. Maybe I know which temple that is. He said, no, no, I don't think you know what that temple is. I said, no, no, tell me which temple. He said, it's in a place called Rajasthan. I said, wow, which place? And he said, it's a place called Jaipur. Do you know it? I said, yeah, I do know it. And I said, which temple in Jaipur did you go to? He said, I went to a temple called the Govindaji temple. And he said, when I went to that temple, the energy, the vibration, the devotion, the complete uh, atmosphere which was surcharged with love and the form of Krishna that I witnessed in front of me captured my mind. And ever since that time, ever since seeing Govinda, I've been always interested in learning more and more about Eastern spirituality and Krishna's teachings. And so I gave him the Bhagavad Gita and he gave a beautiful donation. And as he was walking off, I remembered this prayer, which Rupa Goswami uh, beautifully gives us. My dear friend, if you are indeed attached to your worldly friends and activities, do not look at the smiling face of Lord Govinda as he stands on the bank of the Yamuna at Keshi Ghat, casting sidelong glances, he places his flute to his lips, which seem like newly blossomed twigs. His transcendental body, bending in three places, appears very bright in the moonlight. And so as this uh, personality walked off with the Bhagavad Gita, then I was remembering uh, somehow or other, uh, he saw Govinda, 
he saw the smiling face of Govinda and that smiling face of Govinda captured his mind and if it hasn't already will definitely capture his heart and so today as we're remembering Krishna who killed the final demons in Vrindavan and particularly today we focused on the Keshi demon we're remembering Krishna who killed the Keshi demon and then washed his body at the Keshi Ghat and we're praying that uh, we may also uh, become attracted by Krishna so that we will forget all of the difficulties of this world, uh, the difficulties of life. And as Srila Prabhupada says, uh, we will live in Vaikuntha, the place of no anxiety, because we will be immersed in the uh, name, form, qualities and pastimes of Krishna. So I'll end with this final message that let us become more and more absorbed in uh, Krishna Katha and let us always ask ourselves what am I doing to invest in Krishna Katha? How am I becoming more and more uh, absorbed in this wonderful uh, vibration which is made accessible by Srila Prabhupada and the Acharyas? Uh, this is uh, the real purpose of life. Um, as the sages say, Vayam tu na vitripyama uttama shloka vikrame yatrinvatam rasa gyanam swadu swadu pade pade. Let us pray that one day we can come to that point where we can say the same. Yatrinvatam uh, rasa gyanam. We never tire to hear this knowledge which is full of rasa, swadu swadu pade pade, because uh, those who have become connoisseurs of devotion, those who have become rasika bhaktas, those who, have, uh, who are bhavuka, endowed with uh, deep spiritual emotion, swadu swadu pade pade, every time they read such things and hear such things, uh, they experience such taste within their consciousness uh, and it is this taste for which uh, we are always anxious. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, Siddhapa Prabhu, what a beautiful Hare. description of the killing of Keshi Demon and really touched me when you spoke about Srila Prabhupada's pastime and mm. the beautiful prayer that you shared in the end. It all tied in very well. Thank you so much. We've Thank been you. receiving a lot of appreciation for your talk. I want to share one striking comment right here. The presentation is like a shower of nectar from the cloud that is saturated to the point of overflow upon parched earth. Very mm. poetic. Thank, Thank you so you. much for this beautiful presentation. And we hope you will join us again next time. Uh, it's been such a delight to have you on the GBC SPT platform. I wanna request all our viewers to please hear this again, some of really beautiful and sweet pastime. Um, we also have another question that just came in. If that's okay with you, we can take that before I end. Um, so your son, Shanta Vigraha Prabhu is asking, can you describe the significance 
of the killing of Keshudimin as it relates to sadhakas? Yes, as we know, Bhaktivinoda Thakur in Chaitanya Shikshamrita is explaining that every demon represents an anartha within the heart. And he explains that the Keshi demon very much relates to the anartha or false ego of pride. Um, Krishna put his hand in the mouth of the Keshi demon and often uh, so much of our pride, so much of our, of our vanity and ego comes out in the form of comments from our mouth, um, impulsive, insensitive um, comments and uh, often praising ourselves and other such things. So Krishna put his hand in Keshi's mouth. We also know that horses generally are controlled by having reins which are in their mouths as well. So uh, I remember on one Parikrama, Radnath Maharaj was making this point very, very strongly that uh, just as Krishna subdued the Kesi demon um, specifically from the mouth, then uh, the anartha of pride and false ego generally also is subdued by controlling the mouth and controlling the way we speak. And Krishna beautifully says in the Gita, Anudvega karam vakyam satyam priyam hitam chayat swadhyayas bhyasanam chayva vanmayam tapa uchyate that if we ensure our speech is always satyam truthful priyam pleasing hitam beneficial and our speech is swadhyaya bhyasanam is rooted in shastra then such speech will take us towards Krishna and allow no room for the false ego to be uh, displayed or inflated by our words. So, yeah, this is our prayer that just as horses are controlled by the mouth and just as Krishna killed the Keshi demon by launching his fist into his mouth, that we annihilate our false ego and pride by controlling our speech. Beautiful. I like the three-point check that you just mentioned. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I hope Prabhu, that question of yours was answered completely. Um, very, very nice presentation, Sutapa Prabhu, once again. And so I just want to thank all the viewers for joining us. They have been joining us every single day through this month of Karthik. And um, for those of you that have not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, please go ahead and do so. You can also follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our newsletter by logging on to gbcspt.com. So I thank you, Sutapa Prabhu. Thank you again for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much to our viewers. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.